In motorsport, consistency and performance is all that matters. The pinnacle of Australian motorsport is the Supercars Championship, and they trust race fuels. And you can too. Maybe you do club sprints, maybe you're into motocross, or maybe you rip around the karting track. Race Fuels has products if you're interested in consistency and performance. Find out more at racefuels.com.au. Two of the very best operators marked up in the garage. Wow. This has been coming for a long time. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as always. Red flag, this is a suspended uh, race. Welcome back to the Parked Up podcast. We're powered by the mighty fighting race fuels. And my name is Grant Rowley. I'm joined by Tony Delberto. He's just opened a packet of chips and they look absolutely delicious. They're pretzels, so surely not too bad. And they're only like a little baby pack. So Lee, if you're listening, don't stress, mate. It's all right. There's only a handful here. Are they um, making you thirsty? Yeah, and I've got a cup of tea here as well. Oh, that's nice. There you go. Mate, huge amount of racing on the weekend. I'm absolutely buggered from watching it all and trying to stay up all night and catch all the drama. But before we get on to some racing, mm-hmm. we had a bit of fun our, yesterday. Our sporting conquests down at the yes. uh, local park. Yes, we, we had a little little soccer challenge and also turned into basketball as well. Mm-hmm. All um, of which we got dominated by your niece, your 13-year-old niece who completely crushed us. Mate, I had no idea that my niece, Olivia, could actually play basketball that well. Mm. For a while there, I was trying to shoot and get the goals. And then I thought, what am I doing? I was going to pass to Olivia. And she she's, just nailed it. We yeah, smashed him. Yeah, she's very good. They put up that basketball ring in the back of their house a couple of years ago. And she sits out there all the time and plays it. She plays competition. She's got the she's got the height for it as well. Wow. She also has a little bit of muscle too. So uh, that's I was going to say, the helps. height does help. The height does help. But she- uh, we ran around for a good hour. Mm. Yep. And the amount of sweat that was coming off you, Grant, was just <laughs> unbelievable. That is typical of me, though. I, I'm it? just a sweat. Yeah, anytime I'm exercising or uh, getting really excited about something, uh, I'm just turned into a sweaty beast. <laughs> it, but it doesn't smell. It's not a. It's not a, uh, a terrible smelling sweat. I'm just like look like I've just gone for a swim in a pool. It just it smelled like whiskey to me. <laughs> it's like a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> no, it did not. I was a good boy on the weekend. No, no, we were getting our sweat on though. It was good fun, really good fun to hang out with the family, kick the ball and play a bit of basketball. I always um, wear a sweatband actually. I should have, maybe I should have put a, mm. a sweatband on. If uh, anyone has seen me play or seen any photos of me playing sports, I always wear a headband because it, look, it helps keep my glasses on. But it also does help keep the uh, 17 litres of water that perspires out of my head. It's a huge amount. <laughs> it is so you much. You must have to drink about five litres after doing some exercise. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. I know. I definitely drank a lot of liquid after we got back from the... Yeah, from the... the right stuff. Now, you went out for dinner, actually. I'm, I'm sure did. there was a few brewskis there. There was, there was a couple. Anyway, let's talk about car racing because there was so much racing on the weekend and real, like, Good stuff. Yeah. Indy 500 qualifying, mm. uh, Monaco Grand Prix, just a just a small little race, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing, amazing results. Uh, obviously, Scott McLaughlin qualified 17th, which is bloody good for his first attempt at the Indy 500. Yep. I mean, incredible, especially when probably the Penske cars weren't the car to have in qualifying trim. Mm. He actually uh, was the quickest Penske car, which just blows my mind. But I'll tell you what else blows my mind, Grant. Can you believe or could you ever contemplate going almost 400 kilometers an hour? Yeah, that's a joke. That's a joke. How their eyeballs even stay inside their skull is a, a, a miracle in itself. It's crazy. It's honestly crazy to think that the drivers cope with that sort of, you know, speeds. I'm mm. sure they get used to it, but I'm, I don't I honestly don't think there's a point in their career where they think, this is easy. No dramas. <laughs> it is incredible. And the pressure on those four laps that they have to do to qualify for the show, that must be so, so intense. Now, I'm, the, I'm sure the cars are probably a, a lot easier to drive than they were back back in the day. But I think about how they were trying to do that sort of stuff in the 70s and in the 80s. It's I can't even do it on a computer game. 
let alone <laughs> actually do it in real life. Like they're kidding themselves. I think a lot of people would just think that those drivers are sitting behind the wheel, foot to the floor, you know, trying to go as fast as they can. The team trim the wing off it so there's not, not as much drag and the cars are planted and away they go. But if you watch onboard vision of the drivers during those four laps, um, I watched the top nine this morning, um, they're really busy. They're changing the sway bar. They're changing the weight jacker. They're trying to change the balance as the tyres starting to degrade over a four-lap run. Now, you think about that in the actual Indy 500, how, how much they have to alter the car to try and keep the thing on the black stuff because as soon as they have a little wiggle, they're like, boom, in the fence. See mm. you later. Mm-hmm. So, And they're not small accidents around that joint either. No, no. And I think, like, it would be one of those things where it's all good. You don't get any scares until you get a scare and it's sort of too late, if you know what I mean. Mm. So... Hats off to those guys. They're bloody way braver than what I am, I tell you. <laughs> My Honda Civic doesn't go that fast, and I'm glad. There we go. So uh, we've got uh, we've got Tommy Howard from motorsport.com and Autosport who's going to join us really soon to talk about some of these happenings over the weekend, both over at Monaco and through the United States at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. There was some other racing, actually, before we get into the news, there was some other racing. There was some New South Wales state racing at Wakefield Park, and it was the second round of the Australian Formula Ford Championship. Now, just one of my little side little projects that I, oh, that I work on. It's a, oh, it's a plug for, for my good friends at Sonic Motor Racing Services. Okay, good. So I do a little bit of uh, work for those guys, just helping out Mick and Maria. They've always been good to me uh, during... Uh, when I was a journalist, uh, you know they were they were great contacts and and always looked after me. They they make an excellent cup of tea or coffee or um, they've even got some little snacks if you dive into oh. the into the Sonic Pretzels? truck. No, I don't think they do have the chippies. No, I, I always think of them for toast. That's where I get my Vegemite on toast. Um, uh, so I was watching some of the live stream that they did on uh, Blendline TV and watched some of the racing. And one of their drivers, Valentino Astuti, who of course is uh, the youngest son of Sam Astuti and his uh, elder son, Antonio's racing S5000. Uh, Valentino's racing for Sonic in the Formula Ford Championship, straight out of karting. He had a big shunt. He rolled his Miguel three times coming down into that, um, the fish hook. Uh, you know, down at the yep. bottom of the hill at Wakefield mm-hmm. Park, where it takes that sort of big hard <laughs> left. Yeah, just clip he, wheels or somebody. Just yeah, just clip wheels. I think he'd said that the driver in front of him maybe had broken a bit early earlier than what he'd anticipated, and he just went straight straight over. And oh, yeah, no. I tell you what, that was uh, it was just a little bit scary. But and, looked, and that he, corner he, he there, walked away. He walked away, which is a uh, excellent thing. That corner there. If you shortcut the track, you'd make it back onto the front straight. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. So he's all right, though? Yep. He's okay. He's okay. Maybe we're on our parked up Facebook page, I might share that uh, mm. share that incident for, for people to have a look at. It's a testament to uh, how well those uh, Formula Fords are built. You know, none of those are sort of new chassis uh, mm. we haven't seen new new ones out for a little while but um yeah thankfully he uh, he got out okay but um yeah that was a, a little memorable moment from a weekend where okay. too much motorsport is just uh, never enough well speaking of wayfield park thomas randall drove his saab and uh had a pretty good weekend until i think it was the drive shaft or something like that gave way and yep. uh, he didn't end up finishing the weekend, unfortunately. But he put on pole one race one, and he's up against some pretty good guys. Andre Heimgardner was there in an Aston Martin GD3, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so the competition was right up there. But I tell you what, it looked cold there, looked real cold. Yeah, and they couldn't start racing until like 11 a.m. because fog. the fog, yeah, the fog sets in. I'd done. I used to race a lot of go karts around there, and. I tell you, you you would experience all of the weather patterns in in one day at that joint. It's um, uh, I guess that's what happens when you build a racetrack out in the absolute middle of nowhere. Um, but uh, right. yeah. anyway, too much motorsport, never enough. Now we're going to jump well, on. The, we're going to jump into news now, and we've also no. we're going to jump no. into news 
what, what, what else do you want to talk about? You need to announce our guest. Yes, that's what I was about to do. You, you, you cut me off. You cut me off at the pass. We're going to be joined by Will Davison, driver of the Shell V-Power Dick Johnson Racing Ford Mustang, ahead of the Winton Super Sprint at the very famous Benalla Circuit uh, this weekend. And uh, that's going to be exciting to see supercars back on the track. And Will Davison is going to join us to help us uh, preview that event and talk about his first few rounds with the DJR team. So uh, hang around for that. And now, unless you want to uh, interrupt me again. Sorry, sorry. Let's go to the news. And this is the news. The news is brought to us by motorsportwebsites.com.au. Of course, they have built all of uh, my websites, including uh, the Network R website, the Parked Up website, uh, and you know, Tony, what you can do at the Network R website, networkr.com.au. You know what you can do there. What? You place pre, bets? Pre, you can't place any bets. Wow. But you can pre-order your very own copy of the Little Heroes books. There's five of them. Oh, is celebrating, there? Celebrating the lives of some of the Australian motorsports greats. And you know what? I actually signed off on the final pages of the book to uh, send to the printer. We could have them in three or four weeks. So, wow, Jim Richard, you, you're being sarcastic now. I'm not. I'm actually looking forward to it. Jim Richards, Peter Brock, Dick Johnson, John Bow, and Molly Taylor. They're 20 bucks each. And if you go to networkr.com.au, which was built by motorsportwebsites.com.au, then uh, you'll be able to check those out. Now, on the line from all the way over in the UK, and it looks like he's in his brand new house as well. It's Tom Howard from the Motorsport Network, motorsport.com and Autosport. Tommy, how are you? I'm great, thanks. And thanks for having me back on the show. Mate, uh, always like to have you on our show, especially when it comes to talking about big motorsport events. And there was a couple of those <laughs> over the weekend, none more so than the Monaco Grand Prix. It was won by Max Verstappen. There was absolutely zero passing, but um, I guess we should not be too surprised by that. The nature of that track, the size of those cars, it's just not built for Formula One cars anymore, but always a spectacle. Yeah, it's you, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's still the sort of jewel in the F1 crown, but if you actually drill down, it's actually quite a boring race, isn't it? Um, let's be honest. It wasn't it wasn't the greatest race to watch, but from a championship point of view, it was actually fantastic because the the championship race is now really tight. Max Verstappen leading it now after Lewis Hamilton uh, faltered, shall we say? Mm, yeah. So what? Uh, <laughs> as much as we should uh, talk and celebrate Max Verstappen's win. Uh, in his Red Bull racing car, uh, the, the real talking point was the lack of speed from Mercedes, in particular, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, Mercedes, just nowhere, were they? Um, it was a very interesting insight to, to see just where they're at. But having sort of drilled down into it again, you you can see that this is not, this isn't actually a surprise because Mercedes hasn't really been that fantastic at Monaco yes it's won a lot of races there but it had such an advantage over the rest of the field in those races that their Achilles heel that say wasn't really visible but now when the field is closed up you can actually see that they have actually had struggles there uh, from for a long time and uh, James Allison from the team last night actually said that yeah this this track is their Achilles heel it's not one they they have been good at and uh, the issue sort of boiled down to the fact that I just can't get the tyres working uh, around this circuit, whereas the others can. Um, it was also a sort of catalogue of errors on Mercedes-like, if you if, if you will, with uh, Valtteri Bottas's pit stop, which completely went wrong, where they uh, machined the nut onto the wheel. And, that, and I believe that wheel is actually still attached to the car now. They can't get it off. <laughs> so... Um, it's a bit of a nightmare for them. And then the strategy call for Lewis was was completely the wrong one. And again, the team said that the world fell on their heads. And uh, currently the mood in the camp, you'll like this uh, quote, actually. They said the mood in the camp is uh, we're lower than a, a belly on a snake. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah not a good day for Mercedes. Um, so 
yeah, uh, uh, obviously a brilliant day for Red Bull. They lead the cha- both championships. Uh, first time Max has ever led the championship, so it's a real spicy contest for Baku now. Look, I think, boys, uh, it's certainly not a good track for Mercedes-Benz, but let's put it into perspective. I think it was just a bad weekend for Lewis. Like, Bottas still qualified third, I think. He was only a few tenths away from Leclerc and uh, Verstappen in qualifying. And generally, Lewis will out-qualify Bottas most times. So it's it's sort of like what, whatever happened to Danny Rick on the weekend with uh, in comparison to Lando Norris. There was a massive difference there. So maybe both those boys are suffering the same fate. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, Dan, Danny Ricciardo obviously had a... He's having a real tough time at the moment, getting mm. used to this McLaren. It must have been so hard for him to see Lando lap him. Um, <laughs> end, end the, the wave. End the wave. How was the little wave yeah. on the way through? No, that was a little. That was just a thank you. Everyone's blowing that up. That that was just a little <laughs> thank you. Come on. But yeah, again, going back to the Mercedes thing, Bottas is is better at getting the best out of the tires on a street track, whereas Lewis, who likes to look after his tires, that's where he fell down. And and. His, his actual sort of, his real uh, sort of weapon that he uses at every other track is, is not a weapon at Monaco. So, um, yeah, that sort, of, that sort of explains the deficit between those two. But, yeah, uh, you have to feel for Ricardo because, like, he, he's, he's sort of feel like he's done a sort of Mark Webber in terms of making the wrong moves because he just doesn't, it's not working for him at the moment. But mm. I'm sure he will get the best out of McLaren at some point, but he's got to change his technique. I have complete faith in in Danny Rick. He'll he'll overcome Lando at some point, and uh, he's he's definitely up against it. So Lando's driving very well. Um, so is that now, it, Tommy? Is that is it is it technique? Is it driving technique that uh, that seems to be what he's saying? It, it, he's looked at the data, and Lando's obviously doing different things to achieve speed out of that car, and and uh, yeah, it's it's one of those ones. You you see all the drivers that have switched teams to new teams have actually struggled so far this season and another point he did make was that the lack of testing running that we've had this year has really sort of come to bite him because if they had the normal sort of testing program then he might not be as far back as he is right now so it's um yeah it's it's an interesting one but we all know what he can do so uh like you just hope that he can get over this hurdle and uh, and have a really fascinating battle with Lando because I think it'd be great to watch so uh, one of the other interesting points, I guess the qualifying at Monaco is really, that, that's the race. That's, that's where the, the super excitement is. And to see Ferrari on pole was fantastic. But how Charles Leclerc got that pole position was also, I'm sure, highly <laughs> controversial. Because you see over here in Australia, particularly supercars and, and other national level categories, if you cause a red flag, that's your fastest time put in the bin. See you later. That is obviously not how Formula One do it. And I guess they open themselves up for issues like that, particularly at a joint like Monaco, where you know a shunt with two minutes to go is effectively the absolute end of that session. And yeah, I don't know. what's uh, why, why don't they have that uh, lose your fastest lap rule? And uh, yeah, what's the vibe like? That's a very good question. Uh, I'll be honest, I've never come across that rule until I came to Australia. So I, I've grown up in a world where that's the normal. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. But just to sort of sort of talk about that, Michael Massey actually in his press conference yesterday uh, said that they would actually look into uh, maybe adapting the sort of IndyCar slash supercars qualifying rule with red flags. So they might that might change. We, we, who knows? But Again, yeah, you, yeah, it's a classic case of, uh, you know, they haven't quite really thought, maybe thought through, especially at Monaco, you have to have a rule like that, surely. Surely but, Michael uh, Schumacher seen, opened, that, yeah. uh, opened <laughs> that can of worms up all those years ago. Yeah, exactly. But uh, just to sort of go back to that, obviously, I don't, I don't think Charles did that, on, did that deliberately. Um, you just Definitely wouldn't shunt the car that hard. And then obviously we saw what happened the following day where we were robbed of, of a classic really because if he'd have started from pole that would have been quite an interesting race with him against max but yeah obviously the you know the damage to the car was was too much and he couldn't take that pole but 
yeah, no, you're right. I think I think the rule there should be a rule like that. I like the way that you guys do it in in supercars with colleagues. I think there has to be consequences for causing a red flag. So Max is leading the championship now, uh, first time ever. How do you think he's going to deal with the pressure of that? It's a good question. Um, I, if I'd said if if this had happened a few years ago, I think he would have buckled. But I think now uh, the extra years that he's had, I think I think he's going to cope quite well with it. You saw sort of yesterday after the race, he was quite, you know, very, quite, uh, obviously very pleased with himself, but also quite, let's not say arrogant, but he was sort of verging on that. And I think he, I think he will fuel himself with this. And I think he, I think he'll be a tough character to beat. And certainly at Baku, I think he's in the box seat because the whole sort of flexi wing saga, that's, that's where Red Bull could take real advantage because that circuit would be very good for those wings. There's still 18 rounds to go, boys. There's a lot of racing to be done. So the momentum has swung, but you can never discount Lewis Hamilton uh, and Mercedes-Benz, that's for sure. One guy, though, that I think would be quite disappointed with his weekend at Monaco, Fernando Alonso. Now, if there's ever a circuit where a racing driver makes a difference, I would have thought Monaco would be the place. And he was out in, in Q1. Yeah, no, you... Absolutely correct. But again, I think this boils down to, you know, the lack of testing, as we've seen with Daniel Ricciardo as well. He's sort of fallen foul of that. And and given that Alonso has been out for a long time as well, he's got two factors that are against him. But uh, as you said, like obviously, you know, there are people that can circumvent that rule, so so to speak. Carlos Sainz has done well uh, since he's moved to Ferrari. But uh, yeah, you're right. Alonso, I don't know what was going on there. Um, but let's, let's be honest, Alpine weren't exactly super flash around there. I know Ocon got some points, but Ocon's in real good form at the moment. Mm. Really good form. I don't think Alonso's quite found his uh, sweet spot, shall we say. But uh, again, like Ricardo, I'm sure I'm sure he'll get there at some point. It's just going to take him a bit of time. A very good weekend for Sebastian Vettel, which he finished P5, his first points for Aston Martin. Um, he'll be absolutely stoked with that, but it, it just seems almost like a shame that we're celebrating a P5 for a four-time world champion. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it it just shows how far he's fallen, doesn't it? Um, mm. uh, it's an interesting one, but again, they with uh, Aston Martin, this is the track where they have to make hay while the sun shines because their car's clearly not capable at a normal racetrack. But here they can really, you know, get points, and they did so with both cars in the points. So, um, yeah, no, a, a decent weekend for Vettel, and I'm sure he would take some confidence from that. And uh, it was obviously interesting that the TV cut away from what looked like it was going to be a super shunt, but uh, he just, <laughs> just about got round Casino Square before there was uh, any contact. But, but yeah, no, it was a very good, good weekend from Vettel. I think, uh, I think he'll be very happy with that. Now, we're going to talk about some uh, Indy 500 qualifying as well, Tommy. But look, of course, you work for the Motorsport Network, which includes motorsport.com and Autosport as well. How many people do you guys actually have on the ground or, or working to populate your websites and build your magazines and all of that, particularly over a race weekend like this? Uh, Formula One is the, you know, the thing that appears on the front cover of all of your uh, magazines. So that's the big push. And when, you know, when you've got an event as significant as Monaco, I'd imagine it's, it's all hands on deck. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, it's very unusual to what I'm I'm used to. In my career, I've really only worked in small teams, but now this is a, a sizable operation. Um, on a race weekend, I I dread to think how many people there are because it, it's probably I I don't know. I'm not the best person to say it, but I reckon it's it's forty plus all sort of firing in, and you've got people in uh, in all different countries so because there's additions obviously in every different country so you've got a quite a you know a, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds all chiming in so it's quite an operation to to get everything done um actually on the ground though obviously we don't have a great deal of people at events due to covid uh, we actually had two people at the at the grand prix uh this weekend which is the first time this year we've had more than one person there so um yeah, that sort of goes to explain. But I'd imagine in, a norm, in normal circumstances, we'll have teams of, you know, six or seven at events, you'd think. But uh, yeah, it's quite quite an operation to get everything to the page and to the websites, that's for sure. 
people wouldn't understand the work that goes in behind it. Um, talking about work, we watched some Indy 500 qualifying on the weekend and that looked like hard work, Tommy, to be one of those racing drivers fighting those cars at almost 400k an hour. Um, sensational, really, to watch it and it's bloody scary to be a racing driver. I, I don't know how they do it. Honestly, they are complete, uh, in many ways, nutcases, aren't they, for, for trying to do that. I just, I don't, uh, I can't comprehend how you can keep your foot flat uh, around there at those speeds. It's much like watching the, you know, the rally drivers in WRC, how they do that. You just, your mind is just blown. But uh, yeah, incredible stuff. And obviously Scott Dixon getting, getting a fourth pole. Uh, uh, he's just uh, an absolute magician, isn't he? He's so good. Uh, he is and, so good. I mean, 40 years old, and he's up against guys half his age that have no fear, have no kids, no wife, no nothing um, other than going car racing, and they put everything on the line. Um, but to be at that age, achieve so much in your career and still be willing to do that is just incredible. A testament to his skill and uh, his determination, and and that's why I suppose he's been so successful. But I'd love to see him win an Indy 500 or another Indy 500. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be, it'd be great, wouldn't it? And uh, I think he will go down as one of the greatest of all time in that series, won't he? Let's just be honest. He's he's just brilliant. Um, there's no no doubt about it. And obviously, the interesting for, for obviously the Australians, um, although he's a Kiwi, is obviously Scott McLaughlin. He's qualified <laughs> for his first Indy. All these Kiwis. Um, did, <laughs> he did a great job, didn't he? Uh, and let's be honest. And obviously, Will Power though was the was the shock, wasn't he? He almost didn't make it, which would have been you, you just unthinkable. But uh, but obviously, he managed to get in there on the final day, which is uh, which is good for good for all those all the Aussie IndyCar fans and the Will Power fans. It'll certainly look odd this year. The race is obviously, uh, we've still got, uh, is it next weekend? I think the race is next weekend. Yep. So uh, it will look odd without the grandstands absolutely packed to the brim, obviously. With the COVID situation, it won't take away from the on-track spectacle. But yeah, it, it, it is a uh, little bit of a shame that we, we sort of still live in these times. Yeah, it is. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it is what it is. We're in a global pandemic. Unfortunately, you know, some countries have uh, have not managed it as well as others, shall we say. Um, so, yeah, it's. It, I don't think it'll take too much away from it. At the end of the day, you know, you only need you only need two cars to make a great race, and, and people just like watching great races, don't they? So, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're even if you're not there or watching it on TV, it's still going to be the same spectacle. Um, but yeah, obviously, we all want to see fans back at race uh, race tracks, and I hope I hope that's not too far away. Certainly. Over here, we've just started opening up a bit more. There was fans at Brands Hatch, for example, on the weekend. So that uh, hopefully we, we are going to uh, see some more crowds soon. Now, speaking of, you know, the big races, the biggest races of the year, um, last week we had Andrew Van Leeuwen on the show and he said that he had a mighty old battle with you um, last week. Who won? <laughs> Tell us the results. This is a, this is some <laughs> Cobb Cup computer game action, Tommy. Yes, uh, yeah, no. Well, as, uh, I'm not sure how much the listeners are aware, but uh, there is a bit of a sim race. Oh, they're group. aware. Um, that have se- certainly kept spirits up in difficult times, so uh, it's been very useful. But uh, yeah, no, we had we had a good battle last week. I think I to, to quote Avi, I think I might have had his measure. Um, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, it was a good, good race. I think I surprised him because I'm not normally on the pace. So uh, yeah, I, I think I had a couple of wins against him, but then he sort of fought back once he got his head around it again. So uh, for yeah. for Van Leeuwen to admit that someone might have been faster than him, that is a big, big thing for for him. He, <laughs> he would have had to swallow many, many things to before those words came out of his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I'll take that. That's uh, it's definitely a feather in my cap. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, as I said, we're, the Cobb Cup is uh, is living very uh, well, and uh, I'm happy to continue racing. <laughs> there we go. There you like have it. it. That's an official statement. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, mate, great, great to catch up with you. Thanks for talking some Monaco Grand Prix and Indy 500 qualifying and uh, Cobb Cup antics. Mate, um, it won't be too long before you uh, see more text messages from me trying to get you back on the Parked Up podcast. Cool. Thanks. Thanks very much, guys. I genuinely enjoy uh, uh, sharing some time with you because it's, uh, 
I do miss uh, miss you guys in Australia. So yeah, it's nice to see. You. Oh, we miss you too, bro. Come back anytime. <laughs> Thanks, mate. And always nice to talk to our good friend Tommy. We kind of miss him, and uh, but we still get to read some of his great stuff on motorsport.com and Autosport as well. Now, Tony D, uh, that's enough of the news. Let's bowl into your teammate. You'll be wearing the same colours as this guy come October this year for the great race, the Repco Bathurst 1000. It is Will Davison, the driver of the number 17 Shell V-Power, Dick Johnson Racing Ford Mustang. Have you got some uh, nice heavy questions ready to go for your teammate? Absolutely. I've been researching all day. <laughs> I've been preparing for once. Excellent. I didn't want to look like a dickhead in front of him. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's get Will Davison on the line. You're listening to Parked Up and we're powered by Race Fuels. And it's great to welcome Will Davison from Dick Johnson Racing onto the Parked Up podcast. Will, how are you? Hey, Grant. Hey, TD. Thanks for having me on. No worries, mate. Hey, uh, saw over the weekend that you were uh, giving the legs some punishment in some sort of uh, running race or uh, or something like that. How are you feeling? What was it about? <laughs> well, I've I've been effectively full time uh, full time training buddy. Just I've had the chain on behind Rihanna, helping her get ready for her uh, Ironman first full Ironman triathlon, which is coming up in two weeks in Cairns. So, is it an Ironman for women or is it an Iron Woman? A very good question, but no, it is an Iron Man. Right. Um, geez, wonder if that's going to cop backlash at some stage. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's uh, the ultimate challenge for man and woman uh, in triathlon world. So uh, 3.8k swim, 180 kilometer bike, and then a marathon. So she said about this challenge uh, quite a while ago. She's dreamed of doing one um, for years, and she's ready to go. So yeah, I've been uh, I haven't been doing half the work she has, but uh, yeah, we. We, uh, we we did a, a big big 15k run yesterday which was a which was a great event and um, yeah that no, was it was good fun so is uh, is her goals in this uh, Ironman to uh, set a particular time or is it just a matter of getting to the finish survival making the finish line is is the ultimate uh, the ultimate goal at the end of the day I mean you've got a rough idea what you'd like to achieve and she's being pretty modest in her expectations. I think she will, uh, she will surprise herself. She's a, she's a strong racer, but it's the ultimate test. Uh, I think for any person to push yourself far beyond what you think is possible. And it's a pretty inspiring sport. I've done quite a lot of triathlons. Certainly have never done a full distance Ironman, but been there at the finish line for many. Um, and you've got the pros that are just ridiculous. And then you've got, everyone else from all different walks of life doing it for different reasons, you know, and uh, it's a pretty inspiring thing to be a part of. The cutoff is 17 and a half hours. Um, so you can imagine the people out there 17 hours into a course and uh, the state they're in. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, Rihanna will be around the 12 hour mark, I'm guessing. Um, she's going really well, um, but anything can happen over 12 hours. I think you've got to expect lots of things to go wrong and just keep on keeping on one foot in front of the other and try and stay hydrated and get the, you know, the nutrition right and just tick along all day. And I think, I think she'll do amazing. I've been following the journey on uh, Instagram and she's had a few little setbacks recently with a little bit of uh, illness or being crook. Um, has she rebounded from that? She, is she back in fine form? Yeah. Yeah. She, um, she's, yeah, she's, she's been prone to injuries over the years. She, she pushes herself probably further than, her body would like um, her body gives up on her quite a bit, but she loves the mental challenge of, of these things. And there was no stopping her. Uh, she had doctors telling her a month or two ago that there's no way she could continue running because she had a stress fracture and she went and sought other advice and um, you know, she, she just, you know, refuses to take no for an answer. So yeah, she had a bit of a bout of the flu a few weeks ago. So that stressed her out a bit, missing a week of training, but I just told her it was probably a blessing in disguise. It was a probably a, uh, there was a, a greater reason her body telling her to uh, just rest the legs or maybe a couple of injuries are about to pop up. So she had a week off her legs and now she's going great. She's, um, she's made it through the last week and now she gets to taper for a week and see what she's got on, uh, on race day. So I used to love here. the taper. 
the old oh, paper into a race paper. meeting. <laughs> when we used to train with AK, you just do a light yeah. swim, you know, maybe a little walk and run. It was yeah, the best. Yeah. You'd freshen right up. Exactly. A few times, I think I had six months off training and I just called it, you know, six months <laughs> <on paper. laughs> Now, you've been doing a huge amount of training, uh, especially getting yourself ready for this year, back with DJR. Yeah, it's been a really good start to the year, really strong. It feels like you've just been building momentum and building more confidence um, back behind the wheel. I mean, sitting on the sidelines last year must have been quite difficult to accept, um, but you certainly look, uh, you know, back to your back to your best right now. Uh, I, I think I'm getting. I think I'm certainly getting there. Um, you know, it's sort of. Um... I didn't want the excuse of sitting on the sidelines to be a part of it, but I'm a realist. Like the level of what our series is at now, like if you think you're going to sit on the sidelines for a year, join a new team, do 40 laps at Ipswich in January, and then be able to jump in and, uh, you know, be at your best. I mean, it's just not realistic. So, you know, I didn't want to use it as an excuse. I knew they brought me into the team for a reason. And, um, Oh yeah, I'm happy with the way it's gone. Like my goal was at the start of the year to, you know, obviously do a professional job, minimize mistakes, obviously get quicker all the time and just grab the points when I could. And um, yeah, I think we've done a good job of that. We've got stronger every event and uh, you know, now we're four events in, I really feel home now. I feel a part of the team. We all sort of know each other now, if you like, and we know where we stand. And I think it's a new era for the team. They've come off a, you know, a pretty crazy level of success, but um, I feel like the morale and the culture is still the same. And this is the new, the new step and the new journey with new drivers, um, ownership change. Uh, but I still feel like everyone is really, really upbeat and excited to, to achieve the same success, but, you know, obviously with, with different drivers. So we're all meshing um, with each other and all getting along well feels like the vibe's amazing and um yeah i'm still pinching myself that i'm i'm in in that team and in that environment it's it's so professional and it's so enjoyable um to go to every race with such a shot to be competitive and to work you know with just such gurus it's it's really awesome we certainly... did ask anton this i asked anton this particular question when we had him on the show a few weeks ago now from the outside everybody over the last few years, would have wanted to, wanted to have driven a DJR car. Um, when you first drove the car late last year, was it everything you expected or was it just a little bit different and took you a little bit to sort of get your head around what's special about the car? Um, de- I mean, definitely trying to explain to people, anyone that's winning in this category, um, you know, is there's no magic. You know, it's, it's a combination of a driver and a car being in sync with each other and anyone on their day can not anyone, but we see in our category, so many people on their day can put it on the front row, but it's to be able to do that consistently is the challenge. So clearly the car is good, but their understanding of the car is, is better. And that's what sets the best teams apart from the others that they're able to find that sweet spot more often than not and minimize the bad days. So, um, there's no magic. At the end of the day, the category is so incredibly controlled. Um, each team does things differently. For sure, it's fascinating. Every time you change teams, it's fascinating, let alone jumping in a car that's been so successful. You want to know why and what it feels like. So it's different. I'd come from you know quite a competitive car myself at Tickford. Um, and yeah, they certainly do do things differently. And straight away, you drive the car and you're like, ah, wow, okay, I can feel the strength there. And okay, every, every car may not do something as good as another car. You, you generally can't have both. You've got to find the best compromise. And uh, yeah, it, the car's built well. You can feel it's engineered well. You can feel the attention to details really nice. Um, but there's no magic. At the end of the day, every time you jump in another car, there's always strengths and always weaknesses. Um, and it's being able to adjust your style to the strengths of the car. And um, I think we're still doing that. But yeah, the car's fast. The ultimate speed in the car is, is there, but um, there's still a, you still got to drive the thing. <laughs> and it's been a good, good start to the championship. You're currently fourth and well and truly in the mix. Shane's got a bit of a jump on everyone in his, in his Red Bull car, but you, you know, you're right there. But those first couple of rounds really didn't 
yeah, it, maybe the expectation were that you guys were going to, you know, follow in Scott's footsteps and and get there. And there was even a, a bit of um, criticism from fans of your team or fans of the sport who, you know, were asking some questions. The bend for me, certainly, and probably for you guys, certainly turned that around. Do you think those first couple of rounds were really uh, track-dependent uh, results uh, rather than, you know, that that genuine speed that we're starting to see now? Probably a little. I mean, a little bit of little bit of both. Um, pre- yeah, pre- pretty unfair um, criticism early on, mm-hmm. but in all reality, that's the sign of the times, isn't it? There's always, no matter what, that was to be expected. But internally, we were all... You know, we're all encouraged. You know, the vibe was great. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, the first ever event in the team, we were both on the second row of the grid, third and fourth on the grid at Bathurst. Anton had a provisional pole. I podiumed the first race with the team. Um, so it's just obviously Shane was very dominant. Um, yeah, there was a bit of a settling in phase. Um, but if you look back to October, to be honest, um, the dominant cars were Shane and Waters and, and Chaz, you know, Scott really wasn't quite there either in October. So the team were, were really, really open and, and, um, you know, mindful of that. We were just focused on trying to understand, you know, what, what, what we need to, to make the car better next time we go back there in October. So um, the yeah, car's still do. fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We moved on to Sandown and um, you know, we were, we were trying some things, two day events, make it tough. No Friday to, to try things, sleep on it Friday night. We're thrown straight into sort of 30 minute practice sessions and um, you know, Sandown, although we didn't get the ultimate results, I mean, I still qualified third um, in the wet on Sunday, finished fifth. Um, you know, we unlocked some things in the car, some things we were trying and, I did some dry laps in one of the races where I was like, that's, that's what we need. And um, sure enough for Tassie, we rolled out quick, both of us. And from there on, we've really taken a solid trajectory forwards and been consistently quick across, across the board. So um, yeah, I think the rate of progression has been, um, you know, pretty good and hopefully we can keep it going. Now, mate, I wanted to ha- switch up a little bit and talk about the Indy 500. Uh, I'm sure you've been keeping up with it. You're very good friends with Will Power. Um, and obviously, we're all watching and uh, checking out to see how Scott McLaughlin is going. Um, a tough session for Will Power. Um, just make it, into, make it into the race. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Did you actually have a chat to him at all via text? Yeah, I've literally just been um, just chatting to him just recently in the last hour. So, um he just finished up the day, obviously the stressful uh, bump bump day session um, where, uh, wow, I mean, just stressful conditions for him. Who would have thought? I mean, I think that's Indy though. I mean, I've been to the event quite a few times and it's uh, it's amazing how you, you, you assume the Penske cars are always going to be quick. Mm. Um, but in Qualtrim, you know, there's, there's so many factors and um, without actually knowing all the details, the way the Chevs and the Hondas, I think, uh, are sort of tuned. Um, when they put the qual boost in the cars, you know, certain engines might have good top end, which is good when you flat stick for four laps. Yeah. Certain engines like to be tuned more for a race trim when, you know, you're lifting a lot more, you're in dirty air with more downforce, you might need a bit more acceleration and torque. So it will be fascinating to see how it plans out in race trim. He certainly is a lot more confident that he'll be okay in the pack and in race trim. Um, and with an engine change as well. So, um, yeah, he certainly was shocked by his lack of speed and to glance the wall there on his mm-hmm. qual run, um, I can't believe how scary that would have been, tipping into turn three after <laughs> whacking the wall out of two. But knowing if I lift this throttle, I'm not going to qualify for the Indy 500. So at 380k an hour, bounce off the wall. i just got to hold it flat, otherwise the month's over. So pretty full on uh, for him, but he's in the show and... I think from here on in, we'll see him drive through the field next next weekend. Is there any part of you that um, would have loved to have made that career progression over in IndyCar or Formula One? I know you tried to go down that path. Um, you are mates with these guys. You've raced against them many, many times. There's always a little bit in you that thinks, I could do that if I got that shot. <laughs> uh, well, I, I had the Formula One dream for so long uh, and I, I lived that you know, to my maximum. So I had no regrets. I mean, we, we pushed as hard as we could and, you know, it was a long time ago now. So I, I had no regrets because we did absolutely everything we could in our power to, 
to push that dream. And I'm, I'm proud of what we achieved and thankful for everyone that helped me and supported me. So certainly no regrets because, I, yeah, I saw how, um, saw how it works over there and how fickle it is and how easily you can get a break and how very easily you can have a door slammed in your face as well. Mm. That's political. That's, that's motorsport. Grateful of everything I've had in Australia and, you know, pretty much have spent the last 15 years focused here, supporting my friends like Will or my cousin who's done the last five Indy 500s, um, whether it be mates in Formula One, whatever it is, never thinking, oh, I wish I was there. You know, it's, uh, it's just not the way I roll. But the last few years, more just, I'm fascinated. I've been to Indy enough now where it's something that I never really was interested in. But now having... Yeah, gone and witnessed it firsthand quite a few times. I, I'm I'm merely just intrigued to uh to see what it feels like. You know, I've been there as a punter in the stand for so many years now, and uh, I'm just now I'm fascinated by the event now and the race. It's a different world. It's a different mm. sport, but I'd love to give it a go. Even seeing Simona back out is pretty cool, and um, seeing her, you know, actually, well, she was in the bump day session with Power as well. But uh, yeah, it's something I'm more just intrigued to know what it feels like. Does it make you sort of feel that, um, yeah, maybe the IndyCar dream or the Formula One dream uh, might not happen from here, although Scott's doing a very good job to prove it, it can be done. Um, but, you know, doing a little bit more in other classes, GT racing, maybe some S5000, that could be our, <laughs> our, local, our local way to get you back in a open wheel car. Just be careful. This is the question that he turns into a story. Uh. <laughs> No, I'm, uh, I'm, one day I want to take out the historic Formula Atlantic Championship. That's, that's probably my big goal. No, I say that because my brother, I've just been on the phone to Alex and he raced, um, raced at Winton on the weekend. In oh, the short, the short track. The short track in my dad's Rolta RT4 Atlantic car. So it's just been restored the last 10 years. Um, yeah, we, we grew up as kids watching dad in the early 80s at the Australian Grand Prix. And the last time it was raced was at Adelaide. 1986 um, and Alex and I always loved those little rolls, ground effects, BDA little engines that rev hard and just magic era of the eighties watching dad and Johnny Bow and Andrew Medecki are really when all the legends had come over for the Grand Prix, Alan Jones, Nicky Lauda, Alain Prost, Roberto Marino. Um, I used to love watching those cars and I've just been chatting to Alex um, and it was everything he dreamed of him more. So it was one of the most fun little cars he's ever driven. And I'm, I can't wait to get my shot in the little roll. That's, that's a, that's where my aspirations lie. <laughs> and the car looks absolutely a treat as well. Or one of DJ Sierra's. Sorry. That's, that's another thing that I'm going to be pushing to get a, get a run in a, an old shell DJ Sierra. That would another, be cool. Dream so now did your dad actually restore the car himself or did he have a, a team doing that roll? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he had a lot of people over time. It was a, a long project. The car had sat dormant in Adelaide. Um, effectively, the tub was, you know, was rotting away with rats living inside it, effectively. But uh, it was a slow process, got it back to Melbourne. And yeah, it's been done so beautifully well. And um, from the engine to the gearbox to the suspension, the tub, um, yeah, it's he's had a, a team of people here and there that have done done the work, and he sourced a lot of the the bits and pieces. And um, he's had the young guy Luke Ellery assemble it, who does a lot of the work on his Formula Ford. And yeah, it's been it's been a really cool project seeing Dad put it all together. And uh, the car looks amazing. It's 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 original. It's probably one of the lowest mileage rolls uh, in the world, I'd say actually. And it's it's absolutely meticulous. So. Um, very, very cool to see it in its old livery that's been done up and back out on the track with Alex on the weekend. Very, very cool to see that uh, at Winton. Now we're heading to Winton this weekend for the next round of the championship. Um, I want to get your take on expectations for the weekend. Obviously, you want to go there and win, um, mm. but it's not a test track for DJR, but it has been a test track for you in the past with Tickford. Um Tell us about how you think the Mustang will go around there. Traditionally, it's been a bit of a happy hunting ground for some Triple Eight cars, and and I think Walkershaw is going to be quite quick as well. Yeah, I'm. Uh, no, I'm looking. Can't wait for the weekend. Um, yeah, every every event in this car, I'm looking. I'm just really looking forward to it now. Like I'm feeling like bit by bit, I'm ex setting my expectations higher and, and, you know, I'm wanting to win. You know, we have a responsibility to, to win. So I'm, I'm loving that challenge. I haven't felt it in years, to be honest, um, where, you know, you've got the team, you know, you've got the car 
and it, it's it's on you to perform. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pumped for the weekend. Um, it's going to be interesting on the super soft tire. Um, mm. No one really knows too much about that. Everyone obviously tested. Victorians all tested there last week, um, but weren't able to use that tire. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll roll out Saturday morning with a couple of sessions and and sort of try and get as much knowledge as we can on that tyre in those two short sessions. So I think we've got a reasonable understanding of how we need to, to run the car. I think the car will be fast. So I'm, I'm looking forward to um, to driving it there. It is, it, is, it is quite different to what I probably have driven there in the past, the way we're going about it. But yeah, I'm loving driving the car. I feel at home in it now. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we got. We'll see what we got Saturday. And of course, the competition's going to be hot. Um, yeah, I was reading some some stats that T8 haven't been so successful there in the past, but you, you know they're going to be strong. Um, you know, certainly Shelby, Power, Scotty, and Fabs have been strong there the last few years. Um, and they weren't running into each other. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting. That's true. I saw it's that. Yeah, we I were just dis- I was discussing that with Beardo the other day as well. The controversial. You know where do we where do we uh, rejoin the circuit? If you if you run off at the sweeper, do you rejoin at turn nine or do we have to do the safe bet at turn seven? So it's it's a very controversial topic that's still ongoing to this day because, you know, it's probably safer to cut half the track and rejoin at turn nine. But I think if you run off, you should be penalised. Um, but turn seven is quite dangerous trying to go back against the traffic nearly. So I still don't know what they've come up with there, but. Um, Anyway, yeah, we're looking looking forward to it. We'll see, you see ne- what you never got. you never want to cut off the boobs, though. <laughs> One of the best bits. Yeah. That's yeah. Hey, la- last yeah, question from me, Wilbur. I love that section track. Cleavage is great. Yeah. Cleavage. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> last question from myself. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the Super Soft because I remember when the soft tire was introduced many years ago. Mm. It had only just been uh, made. And that was so fast, but for a very short space of time. And to this day, engineers tell us that the soft tire is exactly the same. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when they first put them on the cars all yeah. those years ago, I think it was like 2000 and 2009 or something, was it? 2009. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, but somehow they last a whole race distance now. So I think, uh, you know, the whole expectation of super soft is they're going to peak real quick and then they're going to go off really quick as well. So tire management is going to be a big factor this weekend yeah it certainly will and you know how how can we you know how you know how can we set the car up how conservative do we need to be in the race how aggressive can we be in qualifying uh and the the tire pressure rule is changing as well so the minimum tire pressure is going from 17 pounds to 19 pounds so um that's something new for us all as well this weekend and uh yeah it's, it's going to be certainly going to be fascinating it's it's going to come down to the same Tire management is in when do you try and do four tyres, three tyres or two tyres in a pit stop. We've seen a lot of people lately just doing two tyres because it's a quicker pit stop. But with the tyre wear much higher, is that going to be possible? Will some people try it? Uh, will the others that go four tyres be rewarded? Um, no, it's certainly going to change change things. We know the winter with the new surface, the, the deg's not huge around there, but um, yeah, with the super soft, hopefully that will create a cliff in the tires I'm, I'm all for high degradation which puts more onus on the driver but then creates you know a, an extra entertainment factor for for everyone tuning on in so now I'm, I'm keen to obviously rag the car on that super grippy tire and and see who can manage it the best over the over the, the race well, we can't look. We can't wait for it. Uh, even uh, Tony Deeg is going to make a guest appearance at Winton over the weekend. Do you get any driving, Tony? No driving. No. There's no just, co-driver session. Just driving from <laughs> Melbourne to Winton. Right. <laughs> you can come and sit in my car and make race car noises, TD. You beauty. <laughs> get yourself comfy. Hey, for October. I might need to. It's uh, probably going to be a bit chilly. I reckon. Generally, is that time of year up there? Absolutely. I've got the right though. Got the beanie packed. So. Yep. Beanie, beanies for sure. Well, Will, we thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Parked Up and we look forward to seeing you up at sunny Winton. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Catch you there. And that was great to talk to young Will Davo. He is the driver of the number 17 Shell V Power DJR Ford Mustang and he'll be at the Winton Super Sprint along with all of the other supercars drivers this weekend. And Tony D is going to be yes. there as well. Now, Come I and think say hello. I think, I think I'm going to go down on Saturday. Saturday. So if anyone, yeah, I think so. What Saturday, maybe Sunday? Sunday. I thought you were coming maybe. Sunday. I oh, will see. 
Okay. But so if this... anyone wants to uh, catch up and get a parked up T-shirt, I'm sure we've got plenty of them. <laughs> I think I've got, I think I've got two left, and they're all small. So only oh. come if you're really, really, really skinny. Um, <laughs> so Mark Tierney, our great friend at Race Fuels, his brother runs the Bowser Bean uh, uh, portion mm. of their business, and the Bowser Bean combi is going to be at Winton selling delicious cups of coffee to all of the people behind um, pit lane there. Now, Mark has suggested, now I'm just going to float this idea to you uh, live on a pod, but Mark has suggested that we record one of our pods or record next week's pod inside the uh, Bowser Bean combi. Oh, Can you that see sounds it? so good, honestly. Well, well, it's going to be, it'll be nice and warm inside there. Be warm, there'll be coffee. I'm sure there's muffins or something as well. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds... Uh, perfect so here we go so lock me in cool so we'll make it sunday make it sundays otherwise we're not going to have any racing to talk about while we're uh, while we're there doing it i'm sure there'll be some action going on okay so anyway we'll we if you see tony or myself lurking around the bowser bean combi uh at winton this weekend and we're holding microphones then come up and say good day and you can uh, be a part of our Little independent podcast. You got to stop saying little because our pod is going like gangbusters at the moment. I, I Last like week it. was our biggest episode. It was pretty big. It was nah. It wasn't our biggest. It wasn't our biggest. But it oh. was. Um. It was. It was pretty good. And look, give it. Uh, give it time. It's a slow burn. People were still. People were still going back and listening to our very first episode. Which, which, uh, I, I maybe suggest skip those. Uh, maybe the first fifty, and uh, join us now because uh, I think you know we've probably gotten a little bit better. Uh, instead of just talking about Grant's car racing career, um, we now actually interview proper guests. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Yes. The first fifty episodes were just about my um, failings as a uh, future Formula One star. There you go, guys. So you've just heard it basically in a nutshell. So you don't have to listen but cool. please I t- listen i tell you what um so we'll be at winton come see us at the bowser bean combi you won't miss it uh, and today actually tony marks 30 days to the next round of the tcr australia series that's exciting wow. for you and your honda it feels like a big gap like this is a huge gap between races it is. I actually laughed the other day when you put that post up. There's 34 days to the next round. I was like, come on. <laughs> you put that up when there's five days, not 34. Yeah, well, I've got another post which is coming out, which is going to say 30 days. And then I've got okay. another post which will come out to say 25 days. Hey, we're excited to get up to Warwick for the, uh, I guess, the first big race meeting at Warwick. They've had a Shannon's Nationals event there before in the past, but I think it was um, Porsche. I think Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge were there. They had Formula Three there. This is going to take it to the next level with TCR, Trans Am, Touring Car Masters, and live and free coverage on the channels of seven. It's going to be massive. It's the biggest show that uh, Warwick and Morgan Park will, will have ever come to town. That is true, but we've got 30. 31 more days to talk about this so um let's uh let's just wait for a few future pods and we can do like a preview to morgan park before you tell everybody the history of the circuit well the, i'm actually, so excited the, about it the, the history of the circuit is actually really interesting do you know who built the place yes oh okay. uh was it matt campbell's grandfather yeah yeah there you go yeah. so it's, got, it's pretty cool yeah that is cool he was Maybe actually I should ring Maddie and say, "What's the bloody secret around this joint?" There you go. It's he wouldn't answer. He's, he, well, he he's might too not. much of a star these days. He is a big Porsche star. Um, so actually, Bill Campbell was one of the very first people that I interviewed when I started at Motorsport News back in like a hundred thousand years ago. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was just a very small feature on this. What back then, two thousand and three, the venue had only just got a bit of a facelift and it just got a um i think they just extended it and uh little shame. little junior burger journo grant roller gives uh bill campbell a call the late bill campbell might out might i add rest rest his soul he uh yeah that was one of my first interviews it was uh i'm sure he was stoked with being part of that 
Ah, look, I'm I'm sure if Matt Campbell's anything to go by, Bill is a ripper bloke too. Yep. Was a I'm ripper sure bloke. He, I'm sure he loved having a chat with you, Grant, and gave yep. you lots of time. Um, cool. All right. Yeah, look, there's heaps of time for us to talk uh, a little bit more. Warwick, um, it's, uh, where are we going? Morgan Park? Not Warwick Park. Not Warwick Farm. That track's gone. All right. Cool. You know what? Let's get on with our week and we'll see it. you and everyone else up at sunny Winton. I hope it's sunny. I think it's going to snow. Oh, it's going to be cold. Bring your jacket. <laughs> see you, mate.